Hello, everybody, and welcome to the, I think, third off-season sporadic uh, episode of Big Ten Hoops Weekly. I'm Brett, and I'm here with Steve. How are you doing, Steve? I am I'm okay. You know, we're, we've, we don't have too much Big Ten news to get into today with respect to basketball, but we have some bigger Big Ten news that I think all of us are just okay about. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good way to put it yeah i think i think like steve said we don't really have any big new news in terms of transfer portal or uh you know we don't really cover recruitment there's no new coaching news and and we're still about five six weeks away from our season previews dropping as it is still the middle of august and things are still yet to be finalized to a certain degree but there was recent news uh within the last week i want to say and that is that the big 10 is expanding yet again in in a move i think that Overall, I think a lot of people probably saw coming once USC and UCLA did make the decision to leave the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is essentially dead, um, but the manner in which it happened is, uh, I mean, it, there's a lot going on there, um, and there's all these all this talk about how much revenue the Pac-12 was supposed to make, Larry Scott's ineptitude, um, just all these factors. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the, I mean, the big the, the thing that matters for the Big Ten and the, the focus of our, our talk here is going to be that Oregon and Washington, starting in 2024, uh, will be full-fledged members of the Big Ten Conference. And obviously, I mean, feel free to jump in here, Steve, if you think I'm wrong, but this this is a decision. All these realignment decisions are driven by football and the revenue that it brings in. So obviously, we're we're not a football podcast, but that's that's you know, that's where things are starting and ending in terms of why realignment is happening uh, and how it's happening. But a, a very interesting subplot in this is how it's going to affect both sides of basketball. Um, but so, we, you know, we're, we're, we're focusing on the men's side here. And it's an interesting kind of place that that the Big Ten will find itself in as an 18 game or an 18 team conference with for now a 20, 20 game regular season. So I think I think starting I guess the two main points, of, at least that I had, um, are you know what Oregon and Washington bring to the table from a basketball perspective, and then how this kind of four-team Western part of the Big Ten will impact the schedule and travel and things like that. Because I think there's a lot of very interesting points overall, but I don't know. I think overall, overall this sucks. I hate it. I think all basically realignment is dumb, and it takes away a lot of what college sports means to me at least in terms of like the regionality aspect um is that's no that's no shade to oregon and washington ucla usc but and even you know rutgers maryland nebraska i think like a lot's changed in the last 12 years and it's i i hate it that's you know it's just it's not uh, not all change is bad but this change is bad all right i'm gonna not be sensational here and just kind of keep keep this within the guardrails but i think Zooming out and just looking at where the Big Ten sort of sits in the landscape of college basketball, you know, the, the the problem that the Big Ten's faced over the last 20 years is that they you know they, they haven't had a a national championship winner. You know that they, they, they uh, Michigan State I believe was the was the last team to do it, and I think that was 2000. Um, and you know th- their reputation at this point has been. I, I think they've gotten six or seven different teams even to the the championship game, just depending on <laughs> whether you want to include Maryland as a Big Ten team before it was in the Big Ten in 2002. But we, the official stance of this podcast is we do not consider that a Big Ten national championship. Fair, fair enough. Um, but for really the last 10 to 15 years, 
you know, no one's, I think, questioned the strength of the Big Ten in terms of depth or just, you know, quality as a basketball league, right? Like everyone knows that there's a specific style that you get in the Big Ten. It's not as up and down as the other conferences, but it's it's strong defense, um, you know, and, and they've done a really good job producing a ton of teams in the NCAA tournament every year. I think, you know, when you look at the last five, I think it's, it's been a lot of teams that haven't um, that have have gotten in but have struggled to make it to the second weekend and so I think that's what the conference is sort of facing as their as their biggest gap you know the biggest issue for now but I think by and large the Big Ten is in a pretty good spot I think as a basketball conference when it comes to just depth um, with with you know they, they've got some issues with respect to their national reputation but from a depth perspective I think they're fine and so when you look at when you look at the addition, I guess maybe just starting specifically with Oregon and Washington, I don't know that either of those programs do much to enhance the reputation from a basketball standpoint. I think you could argue that USC, UCLA maybe would, especially with like what UCLA's got going on there with 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 Cronin. But Washington has has not been very good the last couple of years. You know, I think their their best season under Mike Hopkins was 2018-2019 when they won the conference regular season and won one game in the tournament that year, but other than that, he he hasn't made a tournament in any of his other years there and they've I mean 2019-2020 were really bad and they've been sort of a middling team since then. I don't know that they're really adding anything. In fact, they're probably just adding an easy conference win for a lot of the other teams because I think they're they're really going to struggle. Um, when they first get in, I think with Oregon, you're getting, you know, you're, you're getting an experienced coach. You're getting, you know, a program that's used to making the tournament and, you know, they, they've been to a final four within the last decade, a, a bunch of sweet 16 appearances. Like I, I think with Oregon, you're getting a quality program, but I think that Oregon's not doing anything to move the needle nationally for you, right? Like you're getting a program that's, I think similar to, you know, the Indianas, the Maryland's, the Illinois, um, you know, and even the Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan States to a degree where they've had some success. They're not like a national powerhouse, like a Kansas or, you know, like a Duke, North Carolina. Um, but, you know, they, they are a solid program. So I don't know where that leaves you, but I think I don't I'm not going to come off as strongly and say that I hate this, but I don't really know that this moves the needle much for you as a basketball conference. But I think as you mentioned at the beginning, this was all driven by football. Yeah. And I guess I should clarify my, my remarks on why I hate it. I think I just, I just hate it because it's more just the large scale trend of, of realignment for money's sake without really figuring how new schools fit in the alignments of the, of the new conferences. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not this move on a basketball front is, is kind of whatever. I mean, I get that you're bringing in the West coast, you get your, your, BTN in your markets and and all that, but I'm going to even take it back a little bit further. Oregon's sorry, Washington since the 2011, 2010, 2011 season has made the tournament twice. Um, as you said, they've had some truly horrific seasons. They had a five and 21 season, uh, the the COVID year, um, which was, you know, obviously, uh, not great. Um, but the interesting thing is, I think that like Hopkins for whatever reason and Lorenzo Romar before him, were attracting some pretty high level talent. Like, the the number of NBA guys that Washington has churned out despite being good at basketball is is kind of wild. And so that's that's kind of an interesting thing. And in Oregon, obviously, with the, the Nike connection, has always really been able to kind of bring in these recruits. So I think on some level you're bringing in 
you're bringing in more basketball talent. I think, I think some of these teams are, you know, and Altman's had some good teams and Altman's Altman's a good coach. Um, he's been there for geez, 12 years now, 13 actually. So I, yeah, I think like, you know, Oregon's kind of been the, the steadiest hand in the pac 12, I think over the last decade. Um, and so you're bringing in a, a program that really, I mean, the most games they've lost under Altman has been, I believe fifth, uh, they had one, one his first year they lost 18, but they, they they kind of fluctuate between seven and 15 losses for the last decade. And so, like you said, you're getting some sort of cons- mediocre consistency um, without any high level, you know, really, I don't think they're going to be pushing for conference championships, even though they've had some talented teams that have done well in the tournament. You're also bringing in the ugliest court in America um, in terms of, of the, the abomination that they play on. But yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really get the needle the needle move with Washington at all. Um in Oregon, I yeah, it's fine. It's one fine program and one mediocre to bad program. And when you're considering kind of how the dynamics are gonna play out on a scheduling basis, I'm I'm not sure I see the upside, especially for Washington. Well, and here, maybe let's let's talk about that for a second because I, I think you know, the initial reaction to something like this from a lot of just pundits and people in the big 10 is okay. How's this going to work? You know, you now have four schools on the West coast. You know, I, I think some people have talked about, you know, you, you do this sort of, you, know, you, you schedule this. So like if there's a game on a Thursday and a game on a Sunday, you know, maybe you can hit two of the West coast teams. Um, and, and like you design your schedule, sort of how the, the PAC 12, or the, the former, what was formerly known as the PAC 12 did it. Um, with their regular schedule where they'd sort of divide up the conference into these two team sort of chunks and you you'd play two road games in a week in a week or two home games and that would make the travel a little bit easier one of the reasons why I think that might be a little bit harder as you mentioned at the beginning is with a conference schedule of 20 games and um, eight you know 18 teams so 17 opponents for everyone you're going to have some wacky stuff going on with competitive balance, but also just like the home and road splits of, of who you're playing. Right. And, and we know it, I mean, not, not just with football, but even just with, when you look at the basketball schedule now, right. Like sometimes you, you know, you, you might have to go, like you might only play Indiana once, but you know, if you get that game at assembly hall, like that's way crappier than getting that as a home game. And so I could see, you know, funny schedules where like, you know, if, if Penn State has to play all four of the West Coast teams, you know, only once on the road, that is dramatically different from like an Iowa, maybe only having to play like at Washington, but they get the other three at home. Or even, you know, you can you could even talk through more weird scenarios. But like when you've got 17 opponents and 20 teams, you're, you're going to get three double plays like I, I, that. If, if you end up, if you're like a uh, Midwest team with a double play from like a West Coast team, that only exacerbates the issues of traveling. So I don't know that it's going to be as simple as just like you can schedule, you know, two road games in a row and hit both of the teams out there. But, you know, you, you also have the issues where like, I mean, if Rutgers has a Thursday night game in Oregon and then they've got to fly, you know, they got to fly six hours out there and then come back and, you know, they play Maryland at home, you know, three days from then that, that doesn't seem fair either. So I don't know how you, how you address that. I think it's something that the schedule makers are really going to have to think through. And I think the last thing I'll say on this is 
for football, I actually don't think the travel is as big of an issue as people are making it because you only play one game a week. Yeah, you may have weird travel situations if, like, you've got two road games in a row and they're both, like, a Ohio State playing, like, at UCLA and then at Washington the next week. But with basketball, I mean, it's really the less um, the less high-profile sports that get dinged by this where they play multiple times a week. And, like, I mean, not not only is it a disaster from just, like, the player perspective, like from a cost perspective too, you know, to charter planes out there and just all the time that you're spending away and everything that, that becomes an issue now, all the schools are going to have a bigger pool of money to deal with that from the revenue sharing agreement. But yeah, there's, I mean, I've only hit on two or three or four of the issues that come up with this. There are a ton of other things that you're going to have to think through too. Yeah, no, I think, I think you hit a lot of the nails on the head that, that I was kind of thinking of and to kind of exacerbate one of your points, like, in the example where, you know, yeah, Rutgers has has a Thursday night game in Seattle. That's a that's a six hour flight. So that's 12 hours on a plane. And that's that's a lot like that's, you know, for for anybody uh, to have to come to come back around and play like a tough conference game. And I mean, I think you're just going to see, especially if if like guys are injured. I mean, are, are you really going to send if, if a guy's kind of questionable, like, you know, you're just going to hold him out for the home game, I would assume, because it's just those home games become so much more important and you'd rather have the ability you, you'd want to protect, you'd be able to protect home court and kind of shore up, especially with how the nets are calculated now. Like those home games are so important. Um, and for a team on the bubble, they're going to have to make some like personnel decisions. And it's just, there are too many things outside the actual court that like have to be considered. And from a logistical standpoint, and it's just going to cause a really big headache for everyone. I think I read an, an article on the athletic where they were just kind of asking, I think like Steve Peichel and, and painter and just a, a couple coaches kind of about their initial things. And pretty much the whole, the thesis was basically everyone was like, what the hell are we going to do? Like, how is this actually going to work? As you had kind of said, um, just because there are so many moving parts. And I mean, if you, if you made me guess right now, I would assume that they would do that kind of Pac-12 model where they would send two different teams into the Colorado-Utah sphere, have them play both on the road, and then come back. And I think that you just kind of, you, I guess you kind of just do that. You send two teams to Portland and Seattle and then send them back, and then you do the same thing where both LA teams. And it's that's the only way I think this has a chance of working. Well, but the, the the problem with that is even and again we don't have to spend the whole time on scheduling, but like the the problem with that is is what I mentioned before with respect to like you know you don't know I mean it it's gonna be hard enough to make that work, but then you don't know like if you're getting you know, it, it, let let's say you're I, I don't know let's say you're Michigan State right like you're probably only gonna get like two of the West Coast teams on the road. And like, if it's USC and at Washington that you have, first off, like we forget this being from the Midwest, but it is not a short flight to get from Seattle to LA. Like that's, that's basically the same thing as like doing like New York to Madison. Right. And, and so, you know, that is, I mean, it's better to do that than like go out to UCLA and then go three weeks later and then go to, to Seattle. But like you, you, you need, you're going to need to like, optimize for competitive balance and for like schedule efficiency and then make sure it all lines up with just how those those things 
how, how those how those dominoes fall to to make it all work right it, it's so logistically weird and i think you know getting back to something else you said so beyond the just logistics of flying everywhere but you know how how you land on on the three double plays is going to be so vastly important um because i i assume that they'll do they'll protect you know indiana purdue they'll protect i guess minnesota wisconsin uh michigan michigan state maybe michigan ohio state um but and, and you know obviously this is two years out so uh it's a little bit hard to predict but i mean some teams are really really kind of have the opportunity to get screwed if they are kind of stuck with a traditional poor performing rival as opposed to you know where you can kind of if if let's take let's take if this year's indiana and purdue had had like that protected double play like losing one of those games is a lot less damaging than like if if wisconsin had lost to this year's minnesota and that had been one of their three double plays um so i th- i think yeah it's it's going to come down to a lot of question marks i mean even even 14 is already kind of a nightmare logistically um in terms of how they've done how, or how you can kind of shake out with with double plays but i mean it it just it, it's going to be an adjustment period. That's that's for sure. Um, unless they, I guess, you know, there are some conferences like the MAC, I believe, does basketball divisions, um, and that's, you know, something that might be in the works just to kind of again protect, you know, your traditional geographic rivalries, even even if they're not quite as as strong as in football, but um, just to kind of get some semblance of of is seeding for the conference tournament, for example, like, you know, you, you'd get a better kind of compare, like a better comparative, um, um, comparison, a better comparison to, to your other, to the other teams kind of, at least in your division. So you could at least play more teams a couple times and have a few crossover games every, every season. The, the last, the last two points I'll make on scheduling. Um, so the, uh, the first is so we we've talked a lot about the the competitive balance issue. So I think one thing I've heard rumored is potential to increase to 22 games instead of 20, uh, which I don't know that that actually remedies anything. Um, but I would argue honestly that for competitive balance reasons, you're probably you're probably better off actually having as as little number of double plays as possible, just because, you know, if, if you go from three double plays to five, you're still creating a good amount of imbalance. But I've, I've heard that rumored. And yeah, I think at the end of the day, all that means is that you have fewer non-conference games, which, you know, I, I don't know what that means. I mean, as grueling as the big 10 would be, maybe teams will want less premier non-conference games because they're going to get all these opportunities to, um, have their NCAA tournament residents be good from in conference. That would suck for the mid majors because then they're going to get less opportunities to um, get quality wins in the regular season. Um, but I, I think the the other more logistical point that I want to make is, you know, we've, so we've talked about like how are the schedules and everything going to work from like a team making it from point A to point B. But the other thing that I'd be curious to see how it works is, how do all the games slot in from like a time slot perspective when it comes to, you know, TV lineups on a, on a given night. And the reason I say that is right now in big 10 play you from Tuesday through Thursday, 
you know, you you usually only get you know, there's usually two to three games at night in the in the heat of, of conference play. Yeah, you you know, they've they've moved around to Fridays and you know, there are some Monday games too. But for the most part, you're getting two to three games on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And there there are there is some overlap now because of the the Fox deal and I actually this slight aside, I don't know how the new T V deal lines up with um from a basketball perspective like how how they all split the baby there but let's say it's like a tuesday night and you know like what if you've got two teams out west you know like what what if you got two games out west like like are are we gonna have uh 10 p.m eastern tip-offs where like like it, it's it's gonna stink enough that rutgers is gonna have to go all the way across the country to play this game are they really gonna do it um, at 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, similarly, when you've got these big lineups of stuff on the weekend, I know that like Fox likes their uh, 12 p.m. Eastern start. Like, are you really going to make an Oregon, you know, play Penn State at at 12 Eastern? And we know that the the Big Ten like time windows can get weird too. Like, they even do some late Sunday games. Like, are you going to make you're going to make Oregon play Northwestern on a Sunday at, you know, five central play the game and then make them head back uh, after that. So that like their guys can get to class on Monday. I mean, it, it, I, I think that's going to be interesting to see how that lines up because a, I think you're, you might have to expand the number of games that take place on a given night. Like you might have to see four games on a given weeknight. And like, how does that align itself from a TV perspective, but also like how late into the night will, will some of these games go, um, just because of necessity to some degree with respect to now having, you know, now you've got four time zones instead of two that you got to work around. Yeah. I, I think that's a really interesting point. I hadn't put a ton of thought into that, but I mean, cause we we've, I think we've seen, and feel free to tell me if I'm, I'm wrong, but we've seen a more concentrated amount, I think, especially since, you know, the last four or five years of, like on the half hour early start times uh, on those weeknight games. So I think there are some games that start at like six o'clock. I think we've even had like a five thirty central start time a couple like here or there when when it's especially when it's two East Coast time zone teams um, on the, on that BTN slot. So I, I think that's just kind of become going to become permanent. Um, and they're more likely to skew late, I would guess, for the West Coast games because they're not going to have Oregon play at 4 p.m. in front of nobody. Um or, or, you know, I, I just think that it's there's no good way to do it. And it's unless they I guess you can split out maybe maybe FS or like the BTN plus becomes more of more used. And I think, unfortunately, that's kind of where we're coming. And that's annoying because it's another thing to pay for for the consumer. And they're not happy about that when, you know, it's already kind of difficult to get BTN in some places as is. But I could see BTN plus becoming like the second, like, like FS two or whatever. Um, just because again, like you said, there are 18 teams and you need, you basically need to have four games, especially, I mean, to say nothing of what happens during non-conference season, um, when every team is kind of on their own schedule, um, it's just going to be a mess. And I I would assume that there's going to be something, some other Avenue created that's going to be terrible, um, in, in the streaming realm that, kind of has to that has to fill in um for one of these things and we can only pray to god that it's not flow hoops or cbs Sportsnet. well and and actually i don't know if we talked about this at any point yet on the podcast but 
with the new TV deal, right? Like there's there's no more ESPN for basketball, right? I think you're right. I would need to double check that. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure the new deal, it, it's CBS, it's Fox, and it's NBC. And so assuming NBC inherits, um, you know, the basketball rights in the same way that they inherit the football rights, I think it's going to be it's going to be Fox and FS1. You know, BTN will still be there. But then you might have some games on NBC Sports Network um, and and CBS Sports Network, I think, for, for that matter, too. I, I would also assume Peacock becomes a player, which is also really annoying. Well, I mean, Peacock's already going to be a player for football this fall. So, I, yeah, I think you're 100 percent right. right there. Yeah. And I think like it's just going to be one of those things where, man, I don't know, like the 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 Big East was showing games on USA Network sometimes like it's just I mean, they're really just going to have to try to squeeze these games in wherever. And I, I mean, you know, not to get too into the to the tech side of, of things, but like Peacock's had its problems with streaming, I think, specifically for EPL stuff. And I mean, they're going to want to get that. Tra- not that the Big Ten basketball consumer is a is a significant enough group to like worry the heads of NBC, but like, I, you know, I, if they make these games hard to find, I think it'll be an issue eventually. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Any, anything else on logistics that you wanted to hit on? Uh, we did have one question from uh, listener Ian. So thank you for sending this in. Uh, he wants to know if Arizona would have been a natural fit in the big 10 because their basketball players are used to the cold climates of Northern Europe. Um, so, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that's a valid question that we should discuss in, in full. Well, I think maybe maybe we pivot that actually to talk to talk more broadly about just like the stylistic fits of everything that's like happened with expansion. So I, I, I think honestly, going back to Oregon and Washington, um, the, Oregon plays, I think, a little bit more off tempo than probably that the average team. But I think what's going to what's going to fit them in really well in the big 10 is they play really good defense. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And the, I mean, by virtue of their, like their, their high talent recruiting, they usually kind of recruit this, these like big wings and big, like athletic bigs um, that kind of make Dana Altman's system go uh, defensively. And I think, I think you're right. There's um, they have, they have been quite good on that end uh, for a while. So even if they're, Offense hasn't been up to par. They're at least usually difficult to score on. And I, I think just taking taking that all to another level, I think we can ignore Washington, you know, to the point because they're they're going to have an uphill battle just to make themselves competitive. I think UCLA under Cronin basically operates like a Big Ten team um, in that same like sort of slow it down, you know, gritty like make the game sloppy. And they've they've got playmakers, you know, too on top of that. Not just talking about last year's roster, but like that. They're they're sort of set up to be that way. I think USC is going to be where where this is like a little bit of an adventure where they're they're just like a little bit more of a chaos type system. And, um, you know, they're they're going to have the ability to recruit big time talent there. Um, But I think they're they're going to be more boomer bust. I think to to our friend Ian's question, um, (laughs) the the the. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. We have seen a lot of uh, international prospects sort of making their way uh, through the through the Big Ten. I don't. I, I think the uh, Arizona in particular has has been good at at doing that. I think the 
the treks from some of those places to LA and, you know, Oregon and Washington, I don't think they're going to be what drives uh, more of that talent to, to come in. But I don't think that has anything to do with how well or not well Arizona would have fit into the conference. I will say, I think that the big 12, the big 12 is going to be a, an, an adventure and a hoot basketball wise. Um, I'm looking forward to the Holy war in particular now being, being part of the, the big 12, but all jokes aside, I think you, you get, you know, an Arizona Kansas matchup every year. Um, that, that, that's going to be awesome for that. I mean, they definitely got the better end of the basketball stick. I think when it, comes to how realignment shook out yeah yeah i think i think the big 12 is just going to be a nightly just grind and i'm i'm excited to at least at least until obviously uh you know we, we lose texas and oklahoma there but uh i you know i think the basketball is just going to be be phenomenal there but i think yeah i mean or oregon like stylistically yeah i think i think they're going to be very interesting um and you know they've got a good coach they're they've proven record of at least getting talent in now whether that talent can stay healthy and actually be productive is a whole other thing but you know i, I they'll they'll make things interesting yeah washington i mean mike hopkins is just going to keep rolling out that 2-3 zone um come hell or high water and i yeah whatever um but i i think your your point about ucla like you know they operate so much out of the post especially when they have these kind of bigger bigger forwards like Jaime Jaquez and, and, you know, Cronin's obviously a, a very capable coach um, and, and has, like you said, recruited kind of these, these playmakers. And he's always, even go back to his Cincinnati days, he's had good guards. Um, and, you know, we've, we've harped so much in the last two years about how point guard play is, is so key to success in the big 10. Um, and he set them up very well. Um, and I, I think like, I really like what Andy Enfeld's doing at USC. I think, he's done very well for like a school that usually doesn't care about basketball and you kind of have to kind of be willing to live with the boomer bust thing if you're getting that kind of talent. Um, but the talent he's bringing in is, is crazy. Um, you know, you've got Evan Mobley, you've got, um, Isaiah Mobley, you have Boogie Ellis, you know, there's, they've been getting a significant stream of talent. Um, they have another top recruiting class coming in. So, um, it'll be a year to year thing with them, I think. Um, but he's a good coach. They'll play hard. I mean, they've, they've played their fair share of big 10 teams the last couple of years and, and fared. Okay. Um, so it's not going to be a huge step up, but I'm, I'm interested to see kind of what their year to year consistency looks like. Yeah. I also, I'm curious, like if, if there are any big 10 teams that have to do like the UCLA USC weekend trip, you know, I'm excited just to see all the stories of like, can you just imagine a Minnesota team, you know, going in there at like two and 12 in the conference have absolutely no interest in, in making that trip at all. And then you all of a sudden find out that, you know, whatever, a bunch of their players are caught out that night doing whatever. It just, it, it feels like a disaster in that regard. But yeah, I think now with, with all the, the big 10 teams getting access to Hollywood, maybe you see some, maybe you see some big 10 superstars getting, getting more publicity. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, no, I think I think there's there's interesting opportunity um, overall. I, I think I think I can probably speak for both of us where it's just like this is going to be really weird. Um, and 2024 is going to be a very strange basketball season. But I'm I'm interested to see what these what everything kind of looks like when when the dust settles and everyone's had time to chill out about everything for a little bit. Um, did, did we have anything else we wanted to, to hit on before we sign off for for the time being? Only if you tell me to. I'm going to take that as a no. But yeah, I mean, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, I think I mean, I'm glad we were able to kind of 
suss this out and and provide some some background information for anyone who's uh, not been keeping super up with the times, uh, given that it is August and there's not a ton going on right now, sports wise, especially basketball, Big Ten basketball wise, uh, with the dust settling after transfer portal and all of that. Um, thank you again for for tuning in. Um, we'll be back. Uh, the with the season starting in November, uh, we'll be dropping another three part uh, season preview, uh, much as we did last season, um, starting mid October. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, until then, if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to hit us up. Uh, big one zero hoops we- we- weekly at gmail.com. I had to remember our email address for a second. Uh, we're still on Twitter if you want to navigate that mess. Um, And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.